From American Salon Magazine and .com, I'm Gordon Miller, and this is American Salon Stories, our weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. So today we're sharing a conversation with someone I consider very much a true renaissance man in the professional beauty industry. He's a leader. He's also somebody I'm proud to say is my friend. He's a longtime master educator, haircutter extraordinaire, and a total Jedi Knight with the razor. Today he is known perhaps first and foremost as co-founder along with our good friend Randy Taylor of the global online community Hairbrained. Gerard Scarpese, welcome to American Salon Stories, the podcast. Thanks, Gordon. It's uh, it's great to be here. You know, thanks for the touching words. I mean, I, I don't think I could get a more uh, honorable mention than a Renaissance man because I think that's you know something I've always dreamed of being. You are. We're going to touch on some things that will let the, let our audience know what I mean by that because because you truly are. Um, why don't you give us uh, to start out the the kind of the thirty second? What's Gerard up to in life these days? How would you define yourself professionally? You know, I mean, I, I'm. Uh, I'm a craft hairdresser first and foremost. Um, you know, I I still live for and and love to uh, to work on hair as much as I possibly can, whether that be behind the chair or at shows and events. And then I'm someone who likes to you know get other craft hairdressers together so that we can share information, knowledge, and help to benefit each other. You know, I guess that's the the education part. You know, I've always been focused on learning, which I think is probably the first key to being, you know, um, successful as an educator. And I find that the best way to do that is to connect as many of my peers together as possible so that we can have a free flow of information. And that's kind of where the community building part comes in. Um, and then I'm also a husband and, uh, and an entrepreneur, you know, um, very important life I have with my wife, Kelly, who is a big part of Hairbrained and a big part of our, you know, face and message and engagement with hairdressers all over the world. And then the entrepreneurial part is to try to offer services to brands and hairdressers, um, around the world, you know, through Hairbrained. So Lots of different plates spinning, but, you know, first and foremost, I'm defined and identify myself as a craft hairdresser. So, Gerard, give us the the kind of high level, you know, what is hairbrained.me? I mean, Hairbrained basically is a digital mobile community um, for hairdressers globally to share and connect um, and inspire each other. So, through technology, we've been able to build... Um, a totally mobile platform and an app. Most people actually use the app because it's the easiest way to access the community where members around the world, you know, join, create a profile in the traditional social network sense and start to either just observe what other people are doing and read and learn or contribute content through writing articles, putting up photos, putting up videos, um, answering polls, creating polls, so it's really an identity network for people that are super passionate about what they do and want to keep the conversation going, keep the learning going in a very accessible way. So over the years, our technology has continued to improve. And now we mostly live on people's mobile devices as an app where whenever they feel that need 
to be inspired or connect or learn, they can just hit open the Hairbrained app. And on that app, there's currently 35,000 hairdressers around the world um, contributing. We've got, you know, usually over a thousand people a day contributing content in a different day um, and they can engage. And then over the years, we spread out and realized that, you know, we also have to go to where the hairdressers are besides having them just come to us. So we're also uh, a community on Instagram and a community on Facebook. And, you know, basically what we use those platforms for is to help our members um, connect and get recognition. So we take the content that our members are creating. Let's think of them as the editors. They're creating all the content. And then we use these larger social network platforms to put their content out there um, and give them credit and help them build their own relationships. And that's probably been, you know, the most rewarding part. How many, when we go to an event, Randy and I, we can spend all day people coming up and just thanking us for helping them get connected and helping their, them get exposed. Um, so Hairbrain's a lot of different things, but ultimately it's a global community for people that identify themselves as craft hairdressers. So that circles us right back to Renaissance, because um, I, I think you and Hairbrain collectively have kind of brought that term um, to the forefront, craft hairdressing. And uh, years and years ago, I remember having a conversation with an old friend, Dwight Miller, about the, the idea of artist versus everything else in our industry. And he, he said to me, he's like, we're craftspeople. And he's like, and, and I'm going to let you talk about what that means, because I think you're very much on the same page with him. But um, again, it is kind of a Renaissance feeling. It's an old school idea that, that is steeped in tradition and honor and quality. And so talk about that. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's an ongoing discussion. And whenever I want to kind of spark a discussion in the community, I always bring up the art versus craft discussion. So that's an interesting discussion that's had, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of replies over the years um, through Hairbrained across all of our different platforms. You know, for me, I think um, when you work with your hands to create something that's more uh, functional, it's a craft. Um, and I think that from time to time and through no exact choice of your own, it, it can be an art, you know, but I don't think or try to kid myself to think that every single time I work on someone's hair that I'm creating art personally, you know, and I, again, it's an emotional thing. We've had very interesting discussions back and forth, but I feel that it's a craft and then honoring the traditions of a craft. I think this is a big part to me anyway, is that, you know, a craft is, is a journey. You start off as um, a student and you become an apprentice and then you get on the journey. You become what's called a journeyman before you get to mastery or if you even get to mastery. So I think, you know, that's a big part of the way that I look at hairdressing and really anything is that it's this journey that's going to take, I mean, I think at least as a hairdresser, at least 10 years to get even close to mastery. That doesn't mean you can't be successful or generate a good income or make people really happy with what you do. But to be really honest with yourself and to approach mastery, I think the years have to be put in and the hours and the time. Um, and I think it's a, it's a really ongoing conversation. And I think the other piece there that I mentioned earlier about the art, art side of it, you know, I never attempt to think that I'm creating art. I don't know if that's just, you know, me personally. But sometimes when all the pieces go together, the right face, the right hair, the right person, the right time, the right message, the right medium, 
it becomes art, but I've never intended to create art. Well, then there's always, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder and it's, it's, really, exactly. it's really the job of the audience more often than not. I think that's not. being humble as a craftsman. I think as a craftsman, you can be more humble and you can be more of a practitioner and go to work on what you're doing every day and realize that sometimes it works out great. Sometimes it works out okay. Sometimes it doesn't work out at all, but that's okay because tomorrow you're going to get up and you're going to go to work again and you're going to actually put in the work you know, a Stephen Pressfield kind of uh, thing there that's always been inspiring to me. You have to do the work. You set up the time every day to do it and to keep doing it. And, uh, you know, it's like a roller coaster ride, but there's just as many highs as there is lows. I love that. And, and I like to ask everybody this question, and, and you may have just answered it. And if so, I'm going to ask you for an alternative answer. But but that is um, best advice you've ever received professionally and, and why, and obviously something you think that would be relevant to our audience. You know, I think, it, you know, the best advice I've received, and it might seem a little abstract, but I'll try to make it seem as um, palatable as possible. It comes from philosophy. Um, and it's, you know, people choose different philosophies and how they carry about their life. And there's either a finite philosophy of how you do things or an infinite philosophy. You know, the finite philosophy is that the game starts and your goal is to win. You know, you have to make certain moves and then you have to come out with a, a winning solution uh, or, or you just have to win. You make the moves to win. And then there's an infinite philosophy in business and life that the goal is just to keep the ball in play and to keep bringing more players into the game. So for me, when I first, you know, read this and heard this, I think the very first time was from Seth Gooden. Uh, I saw a reference to it. Then I've seen Simon Senek do a reference to it. And over the years, I've seen uh, lots of versions. And it really resonated with me because I think ever since I was a kid, I wasn't that concerned with winning so much as keeping the game playing and bringing more and more players to the game. You know, I think that that is probably why, you know, I've gotten into community building because I want to keep bringing people together. I enjoy that, you know, growing the game, growing the field. So I know that sounds a little abstract, but that's the advice for me. Think about how you want to lead your life, your business. Um, and there are some people, and I've worked with really successful finite players. They go to work on something and they say, this is the goal and this is how I'm going to win. And this is the strategy to achieve that win. And then they either get the win or they don't. And then they decide to either play another game or move on where I've committed my whole life to a certain game. And that game is elevating the craft of hairdressing by connecting hairdressers together. And there is this, there's no win or loss there. It's just every day keeping the ball in play. It makes me think, you know, that one of the things that's interesting about life is how we all are, are so different as individuals. And, and we have to find that which kind of motivates us and gets us through life. And some of us do need to have that finite. We're built that way. You know, we need to identify something, learn it, work on it, get it done and move on to the next thing. And that's how we get through life very, very successfully. And then some people like you have a whole different play, you know, that long haul, that infinite. And it's fascinating. I think it's, it's, it's brilliant advice. I love that. Uh, you know, I must admit that, you know, um, even before I really realized I had this philosophy, I used to feel guilty sometimes because I think in our culture, you know, the finite way of doing things is like, the winning team and, you know, go get them. And I used to think, well, I don't really feel that way. I'm more empathetic and I'm much more about, you know, connecting the dots. And I, I don't feel that there has to, why can't we both win? 
has always been my thing. And then why can't 10 of us win or 20 of us win? And I actually used to feel quite guilty about it. And I've worked with different individuals and different companies where I felt maybe I was on the wrong track until I made my own, (laughs) you know, and then when Randy and I both kind of feel the same way. And when we launched Hairbrained, there is no win or loss here. Everyone who participates can win. So that's basically, you know, changed my thinking. And now I don't feel guilty about it anymore. I feel passionate about it. That's brilliant. I love that. I want to talk about Randy and Hairbrained in a moment. But before we do that, it kind of jumping one more time back to the Renaissance idea. You told me a few years ago a, a story that I love so much about how you came into the industry and how you um, made kind of a left turn in life and ended up doing something different that made you think that you could do this. And I'll say it had to do with the garment district and share that story. So, you know, as, as a young man, you know, I was, uh, I was decent in school. You know, I, I didn't really want to do the homework or the work, but I could show up and pass the tests. But, you know, that being said, I didn't really have much of a chance in college because I, I wasn't someone who, who would do the work or the homework. I just, I, I didn't have that. So, and I don't come from uh, a wealthy background. And my mom basically said, you know, if you're not going to go to school, then you have to work. So I did. Um, I got a job. I went to, uh, uh, I don't even know what they call them, but a recruiting center in my neighborhood uh, of Brooklyn where I grew up and still live. And they looked through some index cards and they found a job in a garment factory for someone who basically would be uh, a box packer. I needed a job and I, you know, I didn't put myself above it. So I took this job uh, packing boxes in a garment factory in Brooklyn. Hard work. If you ever have the opportunity to not do that job, you know, be sure to not do it because it's, you know, a giant room that's not air conditioned. And one side of it has, you know, women and men on sewing machines. And one side has people packing boxes and it's hot in the summer and cold in the winter. And you're surrounded by itchy fabrics and lots of plastic. Um, And I don't recommend the job to anyone. But, you know, for me at the time, it was great. Um, I I right away realized that it probably wasn't, you know, my future, but I'm kind of an opportunist in a certain way. And I looked around and I saw that there was one room in the whole facility that was air conditioned. It was like a had glass walls, uh, kind of like cubicles put together. And inside of it were the fabric cutters. So what a lot of people don't realize about the design world is that Designers do sketches and they come up with ideas and they can be esoteric, but the people that actually take those sketches, turn them into literally blueprints or call fabric cutters. Some designers know how to do it and some don't. But the ones that, you know, where I worked were the fabric cutters were all old men, to be quite honest with you. They were men at that time. I was 19 years old. Most of them were over 60 And, you know, they came to work with their little brown bags of lunch and they were in that room cutting fabric. And basically I looked over and said, okay, that's, they're still 60 years old and they're doing it. They all seemed fairly happy. um, And they got to work in the air conditioned room, which, you know, at that point was a big step up for me. And I said to my boss at the time, who happened to be uh, an outlaw biker, was the guy that kind of ran the packing and shipping department. His name was Kevin. And he was a cool guy, but he was definitely like an ex hell's angel or something like that. These are the dudes that I was working with. And um, I said, I want to do that job, you know, and he's like, okay, just shut up and go back to packing boxes, you know? And I just kept asking and asking and asking. And I turned out to be a pretty good employee there. And about eight or nine months later, 
they started to say, okay, you know, we're, we're going to get you trained for that job. You know, we think that there's, you know, I, even at that age, I was trying to reason with them and say, you know, hey, these guys are old. You're going to need new blood in there pretty soon. Why don't you give me a chance? I'll, and I guess this is where I discovered craft because I was like, I'll help them. I'll sweep up. I'll study what they're doing. You know, I'll try to learn from them. And then maybe someday I can do what they're doing. And it was also, uh, the, it was also the apprentice. It was absolutely. That's the apprentice model. I mean, the people that ran this factory didn't quite put two and two together. Um, but I think if they did, they would have said, hey, this guy's hungry. Let's put him in there. I would have taken minimum wage because that's what I was making anyway. But at least I would have had a future for that business because, you know, five years later, I would have been cutting fabric for them and making them a lot more money than packing boxes. But they kept, you know, shining me on and never really gave me the opportunity. So, you know, I just thought to myself, okay, well, I can do something and these guys aren't listening to me. Um, and I just thought, what's similar to cutting? They cut fabric. They're in there. I said, okay, what else could be cool? Maybe I can cut hair. I never in my life thought I would be a hairdresser. Anybody that I ever grew up with would never have guess that to this day, it's still something that people are surprised about. But I just drew a comparison. I said, they're cutting fabric, they're masters, they, they do what they want, they're experts, people come to them, how different could it be from cutting hair? I went home, opened up the phone book, found a local, you know, couple schools went in, had a conversation. Next thing you know, they signed me up for financial aid. And I was a student, you know, uh, whether I knew it or not. Uh, I made a big decision and there I was. That it's one of the best, one of my favorite stories I think ever, because it's, it's such a radical left turn from, yeah. from where your life was headed and completely unexpected. And then you talk to so many people who, who also get so much pressure not to come into this business when they don't have family who, who's from it or, and did you feel any of that? Was your family supportive? Huh, you know, I had an uncle um, who was kind of an unlicensed hairdresser. Interestingly enough, you know, he um, grew up in a time where he didn't want or he was pressured not to be a hairdresser because that was like a, a, a gay thing. So he became, uh, he worked for the phone company, but he, over the years, taught himself to do hair. Um, and he kept it kind of a secret from his family. It's a really crazy thing. But I did see, he used to cut my mom's hair and he had a few private clients and it was just a thing that he did. So, so, so he wasn't a closeted gay guy. He wasn't. <laughs> he was no. a closeted, I mean, wait, 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 wait. He was a wait. closeted hairdresser. Yes, he was a closeted hairdresser. I mean, yeah, to my knowledge, he wasn't. I mean, he actually, a lot of the women whose hair that he cut ended up becoming girlfriends and things like that. So I think, you know, it was just something he wanted to be creative too. And he found this outlet, but he wasn't able to do it professionally because of all the bias of, you know, the 50s and the 60s. Um but, you know, so that therefore my mother didn't really mind because she thought it was cool, um, you know, and they were like, well, as long as you can do the work, then go for it. I Again, a great story. And, and as one of the industry's official gays, I'll say um, <laughs> it's just a great little twist to that story at the end. So from there, you know, Sassoon seems to have played a big role in your career. And um, you definitely have that connection, you know, to the culture. And it's an important part of our industry. So um, how, how did Sassoon influence you and in, in your professional life? I mean, the Sassoon organization is the reason why I'm sitting here talking to you today and the reason why any success that I've had or any opportunity that I've had even exists. Because, you know, um, the training, the apprenticeship, the people that I met, the passion for the craft, the 
opening my eyes to how big the opportunities are in the world all came from Sassoon. Um, and my connection to that company and, and really the people behind it even more so than the company, because companies are just about human beings, um, is immense. I mean, the gratitude that I have, everything stems back to, to Sassoon. Um, and I was fortunate to end up there because it could have definitely not happened that way. And then a lot of other things happened. We don't have time for all of them, but you, you might want to mention some of the, I think, iconic organizations and things you've worked on prior to Hairbrained. And then I want to jump into Hairbrained. Yeah. I mean, after apprenticeship at Sassoon, I went on to become a stylist and then an educator in the global academies, which again, allowed me to have a wide community. You know, um, as someone who got to go to different facilities and teach and meet dozens, hundreds, perhaps thousands of people, um, I was able to make relationships and everything in every industry is about relationships. Through those relationships, when I was ready or felt it was time to move on from Sassoon, I was able to um, have opportunities with companies like Paul Mitchell, Aveda, uh, Davinez, different things at different levels um, in different parts of the country and the world. Um, you know, the most notable for me would definitely be the year spent at Aveda as, a, as an artistic director. Um, Aveda had, you know, in the mid to early 2000s, you know, branched out and created advanced academies around the world in some of the most fabulous cities in the world. And um, they offered me the opportunity to be part of that team. And it was a wonderful five years. I, I treasure the years I spent at Aveda as much as the years I spent at Sassoon. And I can say that, you know, it helped me understand what sustainability was and it did definitely change my outlook on um, on the environment in a major way. And each of those brands is is steeped, I would say, in, in two really important kind of, you know, pillars, you know, one being education um, and, and the other being community. They each have their own, I think, pretty deep sense of community and, and those seem to be two super important values in your professional life. Absolutely. And then add Paul Mitchell into the mix there. And they're equally the same. You know, when I first left Sassoon, one of the first things that I did was work with um, Paul Mitchell, the school on creating curriculums and advanced academy programs. And I, you know, got to spend about two years in that inside that culture. So the Sassoon culture, the Paul Mitchell culture, the Aveda culture, later on the Erosio culture, um, definitely connected all the dots for me about community and crossed a lot of different, you know, shapes and ideas. Um, and without a doubt, I mean, the strength of all of those organizations are the people within them and, you know, their passion for what they do, their passion for how they do it. And I think, you know, this is what gave birth to the idea of hairbrained and, a, and an identity network for craft hairdressers. Something just kind of struck me. Um, we're actually doing this by way of Skype. And so um, our listeners can't see that we see each other, but you're at your home in Brooklyn. And um, you're kind of like the quintessential Brooklyn guy. And, yeah, um, and uh, But, you know, I, and I'm from New Jersey originally. And, and something I know about that part of the country is that community is a, is a really big part of life. And it, I don't know that it's even changed that much over time, whereas in other parts of the country, I, I don't think it feels the same. And I, I wonder if you've ever thought about, you know, how much growing up in Brooklyn and, and that culture, you know, had to do with your 
attraction to the big idea of community because you've now made it such a, a big part of your entire life. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that, you know, um, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but without a doubt, you know, I still have the same group of core friends that I met in grade school. You know, I still travel up and down the same streets and frequent the same restaurants and bakeries. Um, so loyalty and empathy and connectivity are, are a really important part of my life. And I think, you know, based back to what you're saying, it's a tribal thing. You know, New York in general and Brooklyn, there are a lot of immigrants here, you know, um, and immigrants have to band together very often to create something of their own. Um, and this is, you know, the culture of New York and Brooklyn, you know, um, and even as in a second, because I'm, I'm not an immigrant, but I come from second, third generation, you know, there's still those strong ties to your actual community and the people around you and family. Um, so I think, you know, it's it's definitely a very valid point. I think it's probably a really big part of, you know, our community building efforts at Hairbrained. Well, to me, one of the most exciting things about the online space as it evolved and something I recognized years ago when I first got really passionate about it was the idea that there was a place online for what were called disenfranchised communities. You know, people who are like-minded, people who have a lot of things in common, perhaps immigrant communities is one way of thinking about it. Um, by profession can be another. But I, you know, and that the online space allowed those people to come together in ways that sometimes wasn't possible geographically or otherwise. And that to me is like the, the, the big idea of Hairbrained, that you've allowed people who were disconnected, people of all, all different types of, of backgrounds, of, of economic stature within the industry, of experience within the industry to come together in one place on Hairbrained and speak in a common language and, and share common um, values and dreams and, and help each other and grow each other. It's, it's brilliant what you guys have accomplished. And so, A, kudos to you. Um, but share with the audience, you know, uh, a little bit about your, your business partner and co-founder, Randy Taylor, and, and also the genesis of Hairbrained. Yeah, I mean, again, thank you for the kind words. And I mean, I think that that's, you know, for us where the real value comes in when people, you know, recognize that and, and connect to it. I think, you know, the first thing that I want to say about it is, you know, when we started, which is way back in 2005, 2006 was kind of the, the think tank period where Randy and I, and we'll talk a little bit about Randy in a second, started to kind of formulate this idea. And interestingly enough, between then and now, there's been a huge change, lots of huge changes, but there's been one huge change that, you know, I've been thinking about a lot lately. You know, it used to be a social network. The word was social network. And as you mentioned, it was about people networking together for the benefit of each other. Um, that became the community idea. But then, you know, what also happened was social media which to me is a different path, to be honest with you. And it's basically taken the traditional media role and superimposed it onto social networks, which is kind of interesting, you know? Um, and obviously it has to happen to finance things and keep things working and moving, but there's definitely an inherent different difference between a social network and social media. And sadly, I hear the term social network less and less and less. I think, you know, that that's something that we have to work on as as a group of people that identify in something. And that's the other thing. You know, I love that the concept of an identity network and how big does it really have to be? I think we've gotten so focused on numbers, numbers, numbers. But if you have a thousand people that think like you do, that's a tribe. 
And if you guys can share and help each other in a social network, that's incredibly powerful. So it doesn't matter if you have 2 billion people, uh, as we're seeing with major social networks, they're almost having a reverse effect and perhaps damaging society in some way, um, where smaller niche identity networks can help each other. But again, not to get too far out there, but it just kind of touched on that thought process for me. No, I think those are important. Those are big ideas and important ideas. And I think as things get more complicated, they're, they're the kind of ideas that need to be brought to the forefront and, and talked about. I always think of social as, you know, I always think about the real world as the best way to explain everything. And when you think about community, we have little towns, you know, that are not overly commercial. We have gigantic cities that have the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have gated communities that are completely uncommercial and private and and everything in between. And it's feeling more and more like that's what we are experiencing on social media platforms, a very diverse opportunity to be engaged or not. And um, I think you bring up important points that we're all going to be thinking more and more about as things evolve. Yeah, thank you. I think it's it's definitely been on our thought process a lot. And you know that leads Randy and I to, um, and Kelly, my wife, to try to do also as many live events as we can, you know, to show that it's not just about, you know, uh, obviously the digital, the mobile, the social, that's all so important to make the relationships, but then to actually realize the relationships, we need to try to get as many people together in person as possible. And, you know, what we found there, and again, this again, will lead me to, to Randy, um, is that we've actually been able to create dozens if not hundreds of real relationships between hairdressers across the world where they've gotten together and created value, whether that be a video, a photo, had a great dinner, a great conversation. And, you know, that is part of the payback in in a big way, those actualized relationships between people and the numbers of people that actually reach out to say thank you about that, you know, about, hey, if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't know this guy who now I consider my best friend. Or if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't know this guy that now we have a business together. Um, and I think that, you know, that that's the driver. So the the beginning there was me and Randy or Randy and I. In the Aveda days, I was working as an artistic director and running different trainings for the Aveda associates that are known as pure professionals. Um, and Randy was a pure professional. And he would come to different trainings. And, you know, the thing about Randy was he would always show up no matter what. So I would, you know, it wouldn't even be a training for him, but he'd be there. And I've always respected that and admired that. And I would always welcome him in. And to this day, I give that advice to everyone when they say, how do I get involved? You know, what I want to be part of this or I want to do something great. And I just say, just keep showing up. You know, everybody always needs a hand. You don't ever need to ask, what should I do? What can I do? Just keep showing up. Um, and and offer value. Don't just show up and stand around, but show up and be valuable. And that's what Randy did. He showed up and he was valuable. He was the first person to say, hey, I've got this little flip camera, which you might remember before phones actually did video. That's how that's Hairbrain started on the flip camera. Randy would take a flip camera and attach it to a tripod, a, a regular pivot point tripod, and he would film demonstrations by myself and other team members try to edit them up really quick and throw them up on YouTube. And we'd get, you know, thousands of views and people would get connected. And we said, wow, we're really onto something here. And then Randy was like, maybe we could take this to the next level and, you know, create our own platform where hairdressers all over the world can share and connect. 
um, our own social network. You know, at the time, I didn't even really know what that meant or what the possibility was, but I knew and valued relationships. And I said, if this is uh, like a relationship generator, then I'm all in. So Randy figured out how to build the platform. He had a bit uh, of a technological background as well as hairdressing and photography. So he's a Renaissance man in his own way. He figured out how to get the platform off the ground. I figured out how to get the people there and keep them interested and excited. And here we are, it's 2017, you know, and it's, we're still doing it. It's a, it's a fascinating start to what is now, again, a global community. How many members? Uh, you know, we reach, you know, conservatively 400,000 people within, you know, Facebook, Instagram, our app has 35,000 users. You know, it, the, the thing is what we, we realized along the way is you can't put limits on how the community interacts. Like we used to think, oh, they have to come to hairbrain.me to be part of the community. And then actually, Gordon, you gave us some advice because we weren't on Facebook, you know, as late as I think 2010 or 11. You said, you guys got to get this on Facebook too. And we were like, well, why would we want to do that? And he said, because, you know, people want to be a part of it. So we had to make it more accessible. So then Facebook and Instagram. So, you know, across all those different platforms, I think people that feel they're affiliated with the with the community is, you know, 400, 500,000, something along those lines. When I've long told you guys, I, I was a member of the community relatively early and I was a fan and you were the Lebowski brothers back then. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my story about Hairbrained was um, I was the executive director of the National Cosmetology Association at the time before I met you guys. And um, I was watching, I was blown away by what was happening. And I was like, gosh, who are these guys? I think a lot of us were like, who are the Lebowski brothers? And um, I was convinced it was Robert Cromians and Takashi from Paul Mitchell at the time. And uh, it took me a while to figure out it was you two. And then uh, I was fortunate enough eventually to actually meet you two. And I, I think I shared pretty, pretty quickly that um, in my mind, you were, the, you were the modern contemporary forward-thinking association model for the industry. You know, this is an industry that has a long history of kind of the ideal of bringing people together face-to-face -face, uh, and, and in other ways. You know, back in the day, it was uh, the telephone calls. It was the TSA listserv. It was, you know, just creating platforms where people can get together and share ideas. Salon owners lifting up salon owners, hairdressers lifting up, you know, new up-and-coming artists. Um, Hairbrain is just a contemporary version of that to me. And it's, it's a game changer for the industry and a game changer for individual lives. And there's just so many proof points. It's mind blowing. Well, again, you know, thank you. I mean, it's always great to be validated. I mean, you know, sometimes you're, you're, not sure of your value, um, but it's great to hear it from, you know, especially people like you that that really know what's going on out there and have the history. So that's always appreciated. You know, the Lebowski brothers thing, you know, is just an example of me and Randy trying to not make it about us. You know, we knew from the beginning, we, you know, we didn't have an ulterior motive. It wasn't like, let's launch this community so that we can then create a product or let's launch this community. We didn't, think of it as a financial gain whatsoever. You know, in transparency, now we've figured out ways to generate revenue, obviously, so that we can dedicate ourselves to the community. Um, and it's become our full-time jobs. But it wasn't like, oh, let's build a community so we can launch product X. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that just wasn't what we were thinking. We were like, let's just do something great for our fellow hairdressers so they can have better lives. And, you know, back to the infinite versus finite game. You know, we both had that belief that 
if you do good, good will happen for you. You know, I still have to believe that, you know, even some of these days when, you know, you get a whole bunch of kicks and maybe you do something wrong for a sponsor, you have to still think, you know, deep down, I know that what I'm doing here is good for my fellow hairdressers. And ultimately it has to benefit us. A big shift, I think we felt in the industry that um, Hairbrains played a significant role in is this crazy amount of content that is being created. And, you know, so much of it's coming out of, you know, the social platforms and the tools that we have. But Hairbrained was early on. And, and I think you inspired a lot of people to make the leap from creating art behind the chair um, to creating art behind the phone and behind the camera and through the lens. And, you know, I've just seen so many people be inspired to expand their horizons artistically. Um, talk about that and, and talk about, you know, you have a big event coming up. Um, so talk about both those things. Well, I, I think that, you know, um, when I started as a hairdresser in the very early 90s and up until, you know, even the 2010s, there were a lot of gatekeepers um, in our industry. You know, so there were a lot of people that were like, I want to get my work published. I want to get noticed. And whether they did it or not, you know, they they had to then submit it through a process um, that was the same in every industry. It wasn't just our industry. You know, whoever the gatekeeper was who ran the event or ran the publication or whatever it was, it's just the standard. And I think a lot of people couldn't go through that. They didn't have the time, the energy, the, the resources. So what Randy and I saw early on was that you can be a, a desktop publisher. Let's use an old term, you know, desktop publishing. I remember seeing that term and thinking, well, what does that mean? It means that you know, if I've got a desktop computer and I've got, you know, the ability to put together an idea, I can publish it. doesn't mean anyone's going to notice it, but I can publish it. So we started to do that with the flip camera. You know, we, we made a video that had value, even though the context wasn't incredible, it wasn't lit well, it wasn't millions of dollars in production, the content was really valuable. And I think that's what we saw in social networks that people were more interested in valuable content than flashy context. Um, and I think that when people realized, hey, I've got something valuable to share and I've now got an accessible way to do it, just like the harebrained guys, I can use my phone, I can use a flip camera, I can spend $500, I can start filming it, I can use things and then I can publish it and get it out there. And then harebrained became a platform that we allowed that publishing to happen. We never, you could put anything up. It didn't mean it was going to get noticed, but the stuff that had value would rise through the top. And then we would try to support it and push it out more. And I think when people realize that, okay, now I can actually do this to the best of my ability and I might get noticed rather than not getting noticed at all. And then of course, you know, the, huge platforms like Instagram and Facebook as they came, you know, uh, into realization, people had an even bigger loudspeaker to push it out there. So, um, you know, originally maybe we were just, um, an accessible platform and then that led people to have the courage to do it. And then some of those people, you know, went on to improve their context and actually, you know, start to put things together in a really, aesthetically great way. You know, as we realized that about, you know, about five years ago, we said, wow, you know, lots of 
people in our community are making these incredible videos that are better than, you know, we ever imagined they would be. And they need to be recognized and they also need to be rewarded. So we started thinking about doing a harebrained video awards contest. Originally, the idea was just making it like what we called an incubator where, you know, we would find a group of people that were doing it and try to reward them with cash, you know, through different sponsors and different things of that nature to help them get better equipment and keep making more and more video. Um, and then that quickly grew into the idea of, well, if you're going to do it, you might as well have a live event and give out the awards and help celebrate those, those individuals in the craft in general. And that became known as the Hairbrain Video Awards. Um, this year, with the support uh, and association of the IBS New York show, uh, we're launching our fourth Hairbrain Video Awards, um, which is, you know, literally a, a nighttime party where we get a, a fantastic New York nightclub. We give out awards, cash prizes. The video of the year gets a $5,000 reward. And with that money, the goal is that they would continue to be able to make video and make better production quality. So we're trying to give back to those individual hairdressers and then the people that benefit from what they create. Um, and that's the video awards. Yeah. And that's Sunday, March 12th this year. Uh, Sunday, March 12th in New York City. Anyone that's, you know, uh, in town for the for the IBS show, which we're big participants in. We'll have a main stage performance featuring some of our international harebrained video award nominees who are going to be in town. And then we have a classroom with some uh, North American nominees, plus the international nominees, all doing hair live and a harebrained pro. We'll have a booth selling uh, all of our different tools and all the different things that we offer online. And the International Beauty Show New York is our sister organization. We are we were part American Salon and, and IBS are owned by the same parent company, Questex Media, and um, it's the hundredth year anniversary of IBS. That's a it's going to be I an iconic weekend for an iconic show. And uh, Hairbrain Video Awards are one of the highlights. It's like a it's a big party night. It's a big um, all the artists from all over the world. I met I met the guys from Russia last year. I can't say their yep. names. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> can I say it? <laughs> um, yeah, you can say it. Hairfucker. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean they're, they're a perfect example of of you know people who've you they they they, they create so much content. It's amazing. Um, I, I don't even know how they do it. I mean they're full time content creators, and you know Kirill, who's the art director, they they've used Hairbrain as a platform to magnify what they've created. And, you know, I, I by no means would say that they're a mass phenomenon, but they're a craft phenomenon, you know, within uh, it never fails when I meet, you know, my peers, they, they always want to know what's the deal with those guys. And they're, they're going to be with us um, at IBS presenting and, you know, they, they're nominated again and hopefully they'll win another award. All right. So IBS is coming up fast. We, we encourage everybody who can get there to be there and of course, to be at the Hairbrain Video Awards. So we're going to start to wrap up here. I got a couple final questions for you, Gerard. Um, first is, what are you reading, listening to, watching, obsessing about? Share something with our audience you think would be relevant to them that you're loving these days. Uh, I mentioned earlier Stephen Pressfield. Um, he's actually a novelist who's also written books that are meant for writers. Um, you know, I actually just, I, I've read, you know, I, I hate to call them self-help books. They're not, but... He's written books called um, The Work, and and um, that's one of his really popular ones called uh, Doing the Work. Um, and 
I, for the first time, read one of his novels. So I've read all the things where, you know, he helps artists. Uh, his uh, Probably his most renowned one is called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Incredible book. And then there's lots of spin-offs, spin-offs from that. Um, but I just read his book called The Knowledge, which is actually a novel, um, where I actually get to see how he puts his philosophies into play. And, you know, it's one of the best novels I've read in a long time. Um, and it's called The Knowledge by Stephen Pressfield. And I, I'm incredibly inspired by him always. Whenever I'm feeling maybe like I'm a little low or losing my energy to keep doing what I'm doing, I always go back to The War of Art. Um, and, and I'll read a few chapters and it, and it really gets me back on track. I've written it down. I'm checking it out. It's on my reading list. Thank you. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't read that. You, yeah. you're, you can enjoy it. Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art. I will get you the review. So yeah. also, lastly, tell us where can people find you, follow you online and also, of course, Hairbrained. Yeah, I mean, me personally, um, I have my own Instagram, uh, Gerard, G-E-R-A-R-D-S-C-A-R-P-A-C-I, Gerard Scarpaci, where, I, you know, when I'm out uh, doing shows and events or when I have different models, I try to put up their work uh, that I've done on them. And then, of course, there's Hairbrained underscore official, which is our Instagram, Hairbrained on Facebook. And, you know, if you like what we do and you want to really support us, um, the Hairbrained app for Android and iPhone. And all I ask is that you go there and you get involved and you contribute value to the 35,000 hairdressers that are there to support each other. Gerard Scarpese, thank you for, I got it right. Gerard Scarpese, thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for sharing with our audience. I could have done this for another hour or two. I feel like we got so much more we could have talked about. Um, you truly are a Renaissance man. And um, glad you were with us. Thanks for being with American Salon Stories today. Thanks, Gordon. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. And we'll be back next week with another American Salon Stories podcast. In the meantime, we hope you'll follow us on Instagram, where we are known as at American underscore salon, also at facebook.com forward slash American Salon. That's all one word. And of course, on americansalon.com, where you can also subscribe to our free newsletter, Your Daily Beauty Fix. This is American Salon publisher Gordon Miller, and I can't wait to bring you more American Salon stories next week. Music